to the Pro Bono Happy Hour. I'm Rena Glazer. Welcome back. Today's guest is Katie Cronin from Stinson Leonard Street. Katie is based in Kansas City, and we discuss the access to justice culture and exciting pro bono developments happening there, her career in the firm's pro bono program, some inspiring stories about the firm's work with the Marlboro neighborhood, and more. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Hi, Katie. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, Rena. Thank you for having me. Let's jump right in. Tell us about your background, where you grew up, where you went to school. In other words, tell us about you. Okay. Well, I grew up in a couple small towns in northwest Missouri. One of them was very small. Um, I attended undergrad at the University of Missouri-Columbia, where I got a bachelor of social work degree. And then I went to Vanderbilt Law School in Nashville, Tennessee. And I became a lawyer really based on an experience I had in, um, in high school. I attended Missouri Girls State, and I ran for attorney general that week. And I got to hear a speaker who was a very compelling attorney who worked on behalf of abused and neglected kids. And I chose to get my bachelor in social work because I thought it would provide helpful experience in doing similar work. Um, But oddly enough, that's one area um, of public interest law that I've never really been involved in, but um, have always been involved in public interest work ever since I graduated from law school. Do you think, even if not in that specific connected way, that your social work background uh, does come into play at all in, in sort of your legal career? Uh, absolutely. I mean, I chose the social work to prepare me for the legal work I wanted to do. My older sister has her doctorate in social work, and she, in telling her about my legal plan, she um, encouraged me that this would be a good, good background. I think it's been very helpful in my ability to sit down and connect very quickly with clients and uh, to listen in a way that people feel heard. And I think that... <laughs> That has been helpful with clients, but it's also helpful in my own professional relationships and um, people I'm talking to every day. So making connections, I think social work is is great background for that. It's interesting. I, I seem to meet a lot of young people, and when I talk to them about their interests and their career interests, there seems to be a lot of overlap between social work and the law. And sometimes they think they want to do X, but what they're really describing is Y. And do you see the intersection there between sort of social work and and the law? And maybe it's just because they're helping professions? (laughs) Does it go any deeper than that? You know, I do. I do think there's a lot of overlap, at least with pro bono work and then legal services work, I think there was sort of an interesting wake-up call for me, I think, in the first year of law school, sort of understanding that there are certain things you can do with the law and certain things you can't. And I think when I became a new attorney, especially to understanding the boundaries of what the attorney can do and what other professionals um, working with your client can and should do. And I think Throughout my career, I've, I've tried to learn the, the value of a team and um, working with, I have a long history in medical legal partnerships, so understanding the value that a broader team wrapped around a client can um, provide. 
Yeah, and the power of sort of holistic services. So I, I, I think that's a great point. Before we move on, I'm just curious, how did you get from Missouri to Tennessee? Well, I had attended undergrad at Mizzou, which yep. was about four hours from home and um, a nice distance for college, but then I was ready to go a little bit further, I would say. So I attended a law school fair in Chicago and ended up applying to about 10 law schools just across the map. But at that law school fair, I really enjoyed talking to the folks from Vanderbilt. And so I went to their um, visiting students day and felt right at home. I actually met with a clinical professor who had a social work undergrad. And so obviously there was a strong connection there. I ended up doing research assistance work for her um, in law school. So it just felt like the right place for me. Um, and that turned out definitely to be the case. Just a great atmosphere at Vanderbilt, very collegial. And um, while there there are a lot of attorneys that go into big law uh, from Vanderbilt and a smaller group that go into public interest, there was a, a strong um, culture around public interest. So I was the executive director of the Legal Aid Society there. And it was one of the largest student organizations at the law school, and students were donating parts of their summer salaries so that uh, students spending their summers at public interest organizations could use that as funding and um, just a, a great atmosphere for the work I wanted to do. You mentioned that you've always been interested in public interest, and you just talked about being super involved in that at Vanderbilt. What do you think sparked your passion for access to justice? I'm not... I'm not really sure. I don't know if it's just um, my faith background or my family. I mean, I, I grew up in a small town where, you know, everyone knows everyone else's business to a certain extent, but you're also, it's very much a community. My grandmother and grandpa, both of my grandparents and um, sets of grandparents and my parents were always very civically involved. I mean, always on boards of organizations um, very involved in our church, um, and just always doing that thing, that sort of thing. They still do it, and it was just sort of something you did. So I think from a young age, I just saw I had examples of being involved in your community, and that that's just something everyone should do. But I did lead, I would say, a fairly sheltered existence as a child, um, and. So then when I went into social work in, in college and then in law school through my my internships and through my professional work, I've obviously been exposed to um, a lot of things, including human rights abuses and things that um, sort of broaden my perspective on what other people have to deal with through their childhood. So, you know, I would just love to see every kid have a childhood that that was, you know, safe. You have a a place to live and food to eat. So just sort of want those basic things for everyone. Do you want to give a shout out to your hometown? I'm sure there are a lot of listeners. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Maryville, Missouri with a short stint in Grant City, Missouri. There we go. Woohoo. Love that hometown. <laughs> go spoof hounds. <laughs> yep. So how did you get to Stinson Leonard Street? So I spent Seven years in legal services, I ended up doing the domestic violence clinic at Vanderbilt. Um, we sort of got placed into a clinic, so I'd wanted to do the child abuse and neglect clinic, but got placed in the domestic violence clinic, but it was a great fit. I had a wonderful 
clinical professor and great experience there, so I applied for a position in the domestic unit at the Legal Assistance Foundation in Metropolitan Chicago, and that really was my first pro bono role because it was through the AmeriCorps Pro Bono Legal Fellows Program, and so I was doing legal work, but part of my job was to recruit local law students to volunteer with the organization and the work that we were doing there, so sort of started that pro bono work at an early at an early stage in my professional career. Um, but after about a year, I sort of felt like Chicago was slightly too big for, for me, so I wanted a city more the size of Nashville or Kansas City. And so I moved back, and I took a position at Legal Aid, directing a program that helped children and women get on public benefits and get um, different treatments while they were on public benefits. Um, and a couple years after I had been there, the agency was approached by a physician from the local children's hospital. He'd been a resident at Boston Medical Center and been exposed to the medical legal partnership model, and he wanted to see if we could recreate something like that here in Kansas City. So I was running this public benefits unit working with children and pregnant women, so um, I sort of remember marching up to my deputy director's office at the time and saying, I want that project. (laughs) And so sort of dove in and um, learned everything I could about medical legal partnership at the time. The model was still fairly young at that point and um, just learned a lot through those first few years about how to make a medical legal partnership work, but immediately sort of saw the benefits of interprofessional relationships and, and how that could bolster the work that we were doing at Legal Aid. And So after a few years of doing that at Legal Aid, I was contacted by the University of Kansas School of Law, a health law professor, because they started a medical legal partnership clinic there. And so I got involved as an adjunct professor and then later um, took that on as as a full-time role as their clinical director at their, their clinic. So I was there for about three years and it was wonderful position, but it was a big position. I was sort of professor and supervising attorney and handling all the grant writing. Um, And while I felt like our clinic was accomplishing a lot with not a lot of resources, um, when I heard about Stinson Leonard Street hiring for this position and the fact that the firm had this strong history of medical legal partnership work out of the Minneapolis office, I sort of jumped at the chance to apply. And then when I met Teresa Hughes, my um, supervisor and the pro bono director here at the firm during the interview process, I was really amazed at the pro bono program she'd created and knew I wanted to, to work with her. That's amazing. And Teresa, former guest on our podcast. So what have been the biggest either surprises or challenges in transitioning from working, you know, in the public interest, at a law school to a major law firm? Well, one of the pleasant surprises was um, just the the technology was sort of overwhelming to me at first. So I guess at first it was a challenge, and now I would say it's very much a benefit. So always worked in a nonprofit setting where, you know, you were making your own copies at the one copy machine in the office and (laughs) um, wearing a whole lot of hats. So getting to know the firm's um, technology infrastructure and cybersecurity infrastructure and all of that, um, I was amazed and blown away, but a bit of a challenge at first, but later um, something I feel like we've really been able to use to our advantage in the pro bono program and 
are constantly looking for new ways to do that. We've got an IT group that's really receptive to pro bono and wants to do what they can to help us. So we have ways of tracking um, our attorney's pro bono interests so that we can sort of quickly nail down who might be interested in certain types of cases. We've used it to um, run some pro bono competitions. We use it to keep people informed of their where they are on their pro bono hours for the year so that we can um, encourage participation and things like that. So the technology has been amazing now that I am getting used to it. <laughs> yeah, that's resources are great. Anything else? Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, it's just the person power of a law firm. So I'd always worked at these small agencies where you're struggling to, to fund one single attorney or um, in, in an agency, and then your law students are there, but they're only there part of the time, and they're new at the law, and they're learning the law. So it's been just really marvelous to work with these really smart, incredible attorneys. And, I mean, there's nothing better than, than pairing up a client who has faced some, you know, really difficult challenges in their lives, but has a story to tell and legal remedies available to them. And then to be able to place them with, you know, this really incredible attorney. I mean, last year, our managing partner took a case and um, was working with a client. And, um, you know, you just sort of sit back and marvel at the fact that you get to provide that kind of representation that everyone deserves. Yeah, that's inspiring. That's like an aha moment, right? Like, wow. And <laughs> just, wow. Absolutely. How, how lucky. Like, by the way, you're talking to our managing attorney. No yep. big deal. <laughs> yep. Yep. It's amazing. Leadership is amazing. Um, yeah. We're going to circle back to the firm soon, but I was hoping you could tell us about the pro bono and access justice culture in Kansas City, just sort of in general in the in the town. What What's going on? What are the pro- most pressing legal needs and how are how's the community? addressing them? Yeah. um, Well, I would say that right now it's just a really exciting time to be involved in pro bono here in Kansas City. So I was hired in June of 2015 and about a year later, another firm in town hired a pro bono professional. And there's several other firms in town who are now thinking about a similar role. And a few months after I started, I reached out to the people who were handling pro bono at several of the firms in town, and we've now been meeting quarterly to talk about our roles. Um, I mean, this is one of many excellent ideas I've sort of stolen from Teresa. That's something that they do in Minneapolis. They meet monthly. And so right now we're meeting quarterly, and it's just nice to come together and collaborate around things. So if I'm putting together a pro bono CLE, I'll invite the attorneys from the other firms and then they do the same. So it just leverages all of our time and resources. And then for referrals, like we may, we may get a referral. That's not something that we necessarily have the expertise to handle, but I can send it to another firm in town. We had a case recently where we needed a Texas, not just Texas licensed attorney, but an actual attorney in Texas on a pro bono matter that we'd gotten involved in. And it, we realized once we were in that you needed someone in Texas. So we don't have an office there, but one of my colleagues in town does. So it's just nice to be able to work with that network. And um, we're talking a lot about some of the bigger legal needs in our community, which probably aren't any different than 
it doesn't seem like in cities across the country as I visit our other offices, but I mean, domestic needs are huge. There's a lot of people who need an attorney in a divorce and custody matter and not enough attorneys to handle it. Um, housing, court, there really aren't many advice um, desks here at the courthouse in Kansas City. And um, we're sort of talking about some efforts to maybe um, do that and just expand the information people are getting if it's not full representation, at least some pro se advice. Well, we were lucky enough to visit with you in Kansas City in December, and it was just so energizing to see the sparks and the interest and the resources that was, were coming together, the collaborations, and it's a really exciting time for the community. And uh, we're excited to see what happens, <laughs> you know, and where everybody takes this. But it's, it's amazing to see how far we've come, and it's exciting to think about the future. I think so, too. And we all sort of attended, I feel like, for the first time as a group, the PBI conference in the spring. And so we got a ton of ideas and had our meeting right away after we got back and started, you know, uh, making plans for, for next steps to sort of take our pro bono efforts to the next level. So it's nice to have those opportunities to convene and, and hear best practices from throughout the country. Well, we'll stay tuned, and we'll look forward to getting a report <laughs> down the line and hear about what's Very going good. on. So let's go back to you and talking about your role at the firm. How do you spend your time? Well, I think um, I spend a lot of time just, you know, placing cases. So all along the continuum from meeting with community partners and forming relationships that will result in referrals to us, um, our legal aid organization and here in town is obviously where we get a lot of referrals, but there are other organizations in town and, and regionally and nationally that I'm meeting with um, in person or over the phone. And then I help people sort of get their matters open and get things taken care of on the front end if an MOU or a co-counsel agreement is required. Um, I connect our attorneys to technical assistance a lot. So that's where it's been really helpful that I spend all that time at Legal Aid because someone will have a question and I can be like, you need to talk to so-and-so at Legal Aid because they're the expert on that. Um, so I'll put them in touch with people for those sorts of things. So just the day-to-day the -day of pro bono that little by little adds up to us donated more, donating more than 3% of our billable hours to pro bono in an, on an annual basis. Yay, meeting your law firm pro bono challenge goal. So I'll just do a little plug for your, your 3%. Oh, yeah, yeah. We're excited about that and want to make it a part of the culture and something that we do on an annual basis. So they get to hear, our, our folks get to hear a lot about that every year. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and luckily, we're, we're lucky that, you know, that's a huge... Um, that our firm leadership has, that's a source of pride, and, and they're the one delivering that message as well. Yeah, it's essential to have leadership support. So are there things that you wish you could do if only you had more time? Oh, of course. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, if I could have anything, it would be more time <laughs> to accomplish everything we, we want to do, because all those tasks that I just mentioned take a lot of time, but I think... Um, Teresa is great, even though she's been doing this for 15 years, about, like, let's think about innovative new programs that we can do and new initiatives that we can take on. And, and I love sort of exercising that creative part of my brain and figuring out new ways to tackle old problems and to get more of our attorneys involved. And um, so more time 
more time would be helpful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, I love that about the two of you that, you know, the firm has such a deep and um, strong commitment to pro bono, but you're not just resting on your laurels, right? You're, you're kind of constantly looking, as you said, for new answers to old problems and new answers to new problems and ways to shake things up because we're not there. <laughs> we don't have a perfect justice system. So there's always more to do. And I think that's, uh, that's inspiring. What else motivates and inspires you? Well, I mean, I would say our, our attorneys are inspiring to me. I mean, my job would be no fun if every time I was asking an attorney, will you take this? I was being told no. And luckily that just, it almost never happens. And if it happens, it's usually like, ah, I'm going into trial next week. Can you contact me in three weeks? So it's not a no, it's just a not yet. And so I think it's inspiring that um, just the openness people have to doing pro bono and it's sort of a testament to the value of these types of positions that um, people want to do pro bono. I just feel like there's so many demands on our attorneys and paralegals' time that um, if we can be there to sort of set the case in their lap based on the interest that they've, they've told us that they have, um, we're much more likely to see the matters accepted and the clients get the services that they need. What do you enjoy most about your job? So, I mean, the day-to-day stuff is great, too, and getting the cases placed, but I do enjoy that sort of creative piece and coming up with new initiatives. I enjoy working with my um, colleagues here in town, the other pro bono professionals as well. Um, so I love, I love doing stuff like weird stuff like PowerPoints. I love bragging on our attorneys and making sure they're aware of the amazing work that so many of them are doing on an annual basis that so we try to put together a couple of PowerPoints a year to feature the different work that they're doing. And it's just, it's a nice moment when you put that together to sit back and, and see what they're accomplishing every single year, year after year, we have to cut slides. It's not a matter of coming up with enough content. So I like that kind of stuff. We do newsletters and internet banners to sort of feature different things. And I enjoy that. And then some of the geeky tech stuff has surprised me how much I've enjoyed that, sort of working with the IT department to, to figure out ways to make the pro bono process just as seamless as the billable process is as well. Other than time, what do you see as your biggest challenges? Well, I think um, a challenge, but something I think that we're, we're accomplishing is when I got here, I feel like there was maybe an idea that pro bono was for litigators and that there wasn't a place for pro bono for our transactional attorneys. And so I've tried to work really hard um, to come up with those opportunities for our transactional attorneys so that there's not just one thing, but a whole menu of options. Like, no, here, there's many ways where you can get involved. And I think that's great because I, I don't think it was coming from a place of the transactional attorneys not wanting to do pro bono, but just more, well, I, you know, going to court with someone is not necessarily for me, but I want to do something. So it's been really rewarding to see that light bulb come on and, and get, get those opportunities to our transactional attorneys so that, you know, we have this broad-based participation in pro bono across the firm. It's definitely not just our litigators. 
That's a great point. And I think it ties nicely into what we were talking about earlier that your folks have the will. You don't have to sell them, <laughs> you know, on, on, exactly. the, on, the, on the value of pro bono. You just have to provide them with the on-ramps, you know, that, that fit into their practice and their lives and their interests and their skill sets and the rhythms that they're going through. And so I think that being an effective facilitator, in addition to being a cheerleader and a coach and an organizer and all of that, is just another awesome hat that you get to wear as you multitask uh, constantly. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> could you tell us about the firm's partnership with Marlboro, which is a neighborhood in Kansas City, for people who may not know? I would love to. Marlboro is one of my favorite topics because I'm so proud of the work that that we've done there, and I just think it's really innovative. So way back in 2009, an attorney at at the firm, Steve Chen, um, worked with Legal Aid to form a new partnership with an entire neighborhood, Marlboro neighborhood, Um, and we started by helping their neighborhood association get 501c3 status, and then just figuring out what are the neighborhood's needs. So rather than an individual client, although we do now do work for individuals who live in the neighborhood, pro bono work, um, a lot of our work is really for the organization. And we want the organization to feel like we're sort of their general counsel. And so we've worked on a range of things. There's um, an abandoned housing act in Missouri that provides a mechanism for getting um, blighted and abandoned properties into the hands of a nonprofit so that they can turn around and get it in the hands of a rehabber so that those properties become owner-occupied or at least rented, and um, which can cut down on crime um, because there will be a beautiful street with just one vacant property, and that can um, be really challenging for the neighbors. We've helped them make sure that they're to bring in a grocery store and a health clinic into the neighborhood. We've um, bought some developments that would have been not as helpful for the neighborhood and then helped facilitate a lot of developments through the city and um, for some really positive developments. So a lot of park improvements and improvements in the community spaces. There's a new watershed and park development that is going to be just beautiful. Um, But the neat thing about the partnership, I think, too, is that it truly is a partnership. So we're just their attorneys. I mean, the leadership at the neighborhood organization and at Legal Aid has been incredible. And they, I mean, they don't just come up with solutions to problems. I mean, these are innovative solutions. And so we just get to do the legal work to sort of make it happen. And then the the neat thing is that two years ago, Legal Aid decided to apply for an innovation grant from the Legal Services Corporation, a $250,000 grant, because they'd seen the impact of this partnership and they wanted to expand it. So now, since they got that grant, there's seven law firms and seven neighborhoods that now have a similar partnership. And we come together um, for roundtables to discuss the things we're working on and best practices and things like that. So um, I just feel like it's making sort of noticeable impact and, um, well, and just sort of one quick story on this. Um, this fall, this last fall, some art students in the neighborhood painted a mural on the Marlboro Community Coalition inside that building. And in one corner, there's the picture of four individuals that have been community leaders in, in the neighborhood. And one of them is Steve Chen, the attorney from our firm. So I just, I love that. Um, Earlier this summer, I took our summer associates 
with the president of the neighborhood association. We went on a tour of the neighborhood and stopped by the community coalition so that they can see that um, that picture and sort of have something yeah. to aspire to because I think it's just so much better than a, a fancy award. I mean, he was painted into the wall of their community center because that's how much they view him and our law firm as a partner. We're not coming in and telling them what to do with their neighborhood. I mean, we're just trying to facilitate their own dreams for their neighborhood. It's amazing, right? From pro bono lawyer to subject of a mural. That's, that's right. amazing. <laughs> um, just for a little bit of context, why this neighborhood? What, why did he select it? What, what's it like? What were its challenges? Why? Why? Yeah, um, I mean, and that's the interesting thing is that Marlboro today looks very different, I think, than Marlboro 10 years ago in terms of I know that many of the parks and public development is, has only happened within the last few years. So um, I think I'm not sure how they chose that neighborhood at the time, although I wouldn't be surprised if it was, had to do with the strong leadership that they had. Um, because I think it does have to be neighborhood-driven because some of the other firms have now partnered with other neighborhoods that are in varying stages of their leadership development of the neighborhood. And I think it's really important that we're not coming up with the initiatives. We're just sort of doing the legal facilitation of the initiatives the neighborhood comes up with. So I think what has been really successful about that partnership is they had great leadership and just that drive and innovation. They're they're very into arts in that community. So in every new development, they try to bring in a, an artistic um, element to it. And at the time, you know, there were a lot of vacant and abandoned properties. And I think we've made a nice dent in that. There's still a lot of work to be done. Um, there were some commercial properties that were more, more vacant properties where some unsavory things were happening as well. One of those um, has come down with this new watershed and park development, though. So I think those things take some time. I think it speaks to the fact that, you know, if you're always, always rushing to the next new initiative, um, you might lose out on some opportunities. I mean, we've been with this neighborhood coming up on a decade and so I think it, it takes some time and some investment on everybody's part to see, see the results you want to see happen. That's a great point that there's real upsides in going deep, you know, and creating a longstanding, lasting relationship. You can't just do these things in a flash. <laughs> and so I think so. And yeah. I mean, we have our diner legal clinic in Minneapolis, and yep. that's a 25-year partnership. Yep. So I think, I think that's sort of the culture of our firm. We're... Like I said, Teresa and I are always looking for innovative new projects for us to take on. But at the same time, um, we stand by our commitments and recognize the value in an individual case just as much as an impact case. So whether it's an individual or whether it's uh, an impact matter, could you share some examples of pro bono matters that have been particularly meaningful to you, whether you worked on them or whether, you know, other attorneys worked on them and you were sort of adjacent, but they spoke to you for whatever reason? Why don't you tell us some stories? Well, um, in addition to Medical Legal Partnership, which is one of my favorite models, and I love that work due to its and sort of preventive nature. I've done a lot of work with human trafficking survivors and am involved in that um, 
the community of anti-trafficking advocates here in town. That started during my time at KU, um, and we helped to get the medical, um, the hospital where I was, where my medical legal partnership clinic was placed to get the emergency department staff screening for human trafficking and looking for those issues because I learned through my screening of domestic violence um, survivors because I was being called in on those cases to start asking those questions and I was getting positive responses a lot that people who weren't mentioning human trafficking as um, part of their victimization, that was something that was happening. So when I came to the firm, I'd been participating for a few years in the U.S. Attorney's Human Trafficking Work Group and so definitely wanted to see if there would be a place here at the firm for us to expand resources because it's just an area where it's sort of yet again an area where there is a massive need for good legal counsel on so many different legal issues. And I think the attorneys are just more than happy to jump in on those cases, but sort of making that connection. And so luckily, even I was a little worried when I moved to the firm, if I'd still get those calls, but people were still reaching out to me to, um, to see if we could get some legal representation for some survivors. And we've taken on several of those cases, so TVs applications and then helping people adjust status. And then um, on both the labor and sex trafficking side, um, name change petitions so that people can avoid their traffickers. And um, it's been really neat to see how the attorneys are so willing to really go out on a limb and get the training they need so that they can help help these clients. And then obviously those clients are, are incredibly motivating because the things that they've had to live through, um, it's just sort of an honor, I feel like, to, to be on their journey with them for a while to help clear up some of the, the legal issues that have impacted their lives. And it's usually not just one thing. Um, you start talking to a client and there's another thing and another thing. So um, I have tried to warn our attorneys of that. I brought in some people in addition to the legal training to um, talk about trauma-informed representation so that you can understand sort of how people are unpacking trauma while they're working with you as a client and how that might be different than the billable clients and their ability to communicate um, their stories on a billable matter might be different than a, for a trauma client, a client who's experienced trauma. Yeah, and I think it affects you and the pro bono lawyers, too, hearing just these horrible stories of, of profound suffering can be very hard to process. But people are so resilient that it is amazing and inspiring at the same time. Yeah, it is. And there's it's I mean, I find locally in our state laws and then federally, there has been a lot of work done to create remedies and really um, neat possibilities in the law. I kind of geek out about that too when there's cool opportunities in the law to help survivors of human trafficking, but they may not know that those exist. And sure. it takes sort of a skilled attorney um, to spend some time with the survivor to hear their story and pair that up with those remedies. And so um, making sure that, that those don't just exist in the books, but they exist in reality as well. Yeah, it's really a great example of using our legal skills and the legal system to help <laughs> the, the intended beneficiary of, of the system who, who couldn't do it on their own. Absolutely. 
So what's on the horizon? Tell us about something in the works for the firm's pro bono program. Later this year, we are partnering with the Mid-America Association of Corporate Counsel to put on a CLE on pro bono um, for the in-house lawyer. And I know that's an idea that's been explored thoroughly in other cities, but I I think it's a newer idea here in Kansas City. So we really just want to make sure that's on the radar of our in-house counsel here in Kansas City. And that will actually that's a regional group. So it'll be broadcast to our Jefferson City office and our Wichita, Kansas office and our Omaha, Nebraska office as well and and the in-house council that attend that event. But um been talking with you guys about um, having someone speak from the Pro Bono Institute about that. We're going to talk a little bit about the ethics of doing pro bono and then just provide some examples of pro bono that's being done I'm going to have some of our transactional attorneys speak on, on what they've, they've done because I think it might be the same thing as I was mentioning earlier with our transactional attorneys where just figuring out how you can fit into that, that pro bono and um, making sure that they know that our firm can be used as a resource since we've been doing this stuff for a long time and um, happy to help them get pro bono programs off the ground. So that's sort of another neat Kansas City initiative as well that I think there's just a lot of room to expand the panel of attorneys we have willing to work on these cases if people become aware of the opportunities. I love that. Education. We love education. And I think you're you're doing such good work at connecting the dots for people, right, to help them get involved. We hope so. And we hope that the event will maybe serve as a launch pad if yep. we do have clients that would like to partner with us on different pro bono clinics or pro bono initiatives, you know, we look forward to the opportunity to work with our clients to do that. Yep. Super exciting. We'll love following this as well. If you had a magic wand, what would you change about pro bono or access to justice? Well, I mean, you can never get enough funding. So I think I would increase um, legal services corporation funding or at least maintain it so that because I think that's important. I think that there are there are some challenging cases that I think having having served as an attorney at Legal Aid are best you know served by a legal aid attorney who's in the trenches every single day. And there are other things that are a better fit for pro bono attorneys. And I know that we couldn't do the pro bono we do as effectively without all of the incredible technical assistance we receive from those organizations as well. But they have full plates and full caseloads. So I'm so appreciative of their willingness to take our calls and um, provide that assistance. But, you know, I think making sure that that we support our legal services organizations and understand that they're really the backbone for a robust pro bono community as well. You have spent time teaching and working in clinical settings. And earlier you talked about working with the firm Summer Associates. So what advice do you have for law students or lawyers who are just starting their careers? Well, I love working with the law students because I get a feel of, um, or our Summer Associates, because I get um, to feel like I'm a little bit back in that clinical world. And we give new, we give our Summer Associates and our new Fall Associates Um, a pro bono case, and that's sort of picked for them before they arrive. Um, Obviously, later on, as they stay at the firm, they they get the opportunity to choose their own, but we try to pull them in early. And so, you know, I think, especially for my role, what I tell them is, you know, do pro bono, because while it may seem like you're just sort of 
adding one more thing to an already two-full plate, I think it can actually be the thing that sort of ends up keeping you going and reminds you why you went to law school in the first place and feeds your soul. And, and we tell people that, that this should be the area that you're something you're passionate about. Let us know what your passions are, and we're going to find you something that will feed that passion through your pro bono work. Let alone that beyond that, I think it's good for their careers because they meet new people at the firm, it gets them out in the community, and they gain new skills. But And I'm also seeing, you know, I think sometimes those generational stereotypes can can go a little far because we're all individuals. But I do feel like in the millennial generation, there is a strong sense of wanting to give back and be involved in one's community. And so I'm also finding that it is not a hard sell with our new associates at all, that they're very excited about the pro bono program at the firm. And many of them even mention it as something that that drew them to the firm. Because when they walk around for interviews, they see the pro bono ribbons hanging up around our firm that we give to people during pro bono week if they hurt hit certain milestones in their pro bono hours. And I think they can just sense that it's a, it's a strong part of our, our culture and um, they want to be a part of that. Wonderful. Let's wind down with this. Who's your pro bono role model? Feel free to pick more than one and why. Well, I love innovation, innovative solutions to, like I said, to new solutions to old problems. So, um, I've always been impressed with the Medical Legal Partnership founders. And so I think, you know, there were MLPs happening before it maybe had the title of MLP. So I think that includes some of the people at our firm because the Dinard Legal Clinic was definitely early in that MLP movement, but the folks at Boston Medical Center. So um, people who think innovatively about some of these, these problems upstream, about how to tackle the social determinants of health before they before they happen. So innovators in that, you know, I know it's going to sound like I'm brown-nosing, but I have to say Teresa, my boss, because I just think she's the best in the business. And on a daily basis, I'm just learning more from her, and I think she's run a really impressive program. And as I go to national conferences and learn more about what other people are doing, it, it reminds me of how much she's accomplished here at our firm. So she's certainly a role model for me, and I feel lucky to have her as someone I can check in with so regularly. But really, I mean, obviously, I think it's just our clients because they're the ones who have um, had to struggle through a lot. And so I really just think that it's a privilege for us. It's a privilege for me to get to serve in this role. It's a privilege to be able to to help people, um, you know, have access to justice, which is something that we should all have. What a marvelous note to end on. Katie, thank you so much for talking with me today. It's been a pleasure and very inspiring. Thank you, Rena. I appreciate you having me. Thanks for listening to our discussion with Katie Cronin. And thank you to Katie for making the time to be with us. New and archived episodes of the show can be found on Apple Podcasts and YouTube. Be sure to subscribe if you haven't already. And please take a moment to leave a review. It's quick and easy to do. We'd appreciate the feedback and it would help make it easier for other listeners to find our podcast and expand the conversation about pro bono and access to justice. 
Hey listeners, we'd love to hear from you. Send your comments, feedback, and suggestions to probono at probonoinst.org. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Pro Bono Happy Hour.